Welcome to Waiting for Review, a show that follows the journeys of two independent iOS developers. I'm Dave Knott, an iOS developer from Devon, England. And I'm Dave Wood, an iOS developer from Leicester, England. Join us as we discuss the development, code and technology of our independent journeys. All right, so let's talk about the iPad. So it's being it's being thrown around that it's the future of computing. Um, so I thought we'd talk about where we see the iPad in our list of priorities when we're developing, but also where we see it in a general sense. Um, just to get it out there now, I'm over the iPad, totally over it. Um, I've tried two of them. I got the original iPad when it first came out. Uh, I got the, what did I get? The iPad Air. And in both cases, I really, really wanted to like them. Um, but I, I can't find an area in which it really, really works for me. Um, I, I don't know where you where you are on this issue. Um, you have an iPad mini? Am I right in saying that? Yeah, I've got the the mini 4, um, I think it is. It's, it's the most recent one. It allows... Um, sort of split screen on it which was the main reason for me having it so I can kind of see how my apps and other things sort of work with split screen but without sort of committing to the the sort of more major cost of the larger iPads um yeah I've and I had a I had an iPad 3 before as well um it's hard to say what my feelings are for the iPad really because I I really want to like it and there's a lot to love about my, my mini. Um, you know, I like reading comic books on it. Um, I like reading books on it. Um, I like playing with my, my video mixing app on it. So, you know, having the larger interface is actually quite fun for that. Um, but then I can go days without really using it. And it's not a part of my life in the same way as my phone is. Um, so it means that my upgrade cycle is going to be a lot longer. You know, I sort of went from the iPad 3 to the, the, the Mini that I've got now, and that was, what, three years in between, I think. Um, you know, I'm looking at the same upgrade cycle for, for this Mini, and even then it's going to be something that I really, really think through because when you're talking, I can go days between using it. Um, I use my phone all the time. I use my Mac every day. Um it's got to justify itself a little more. And I do feel that it's, it's the software side of things. It's the OS really that that is sort of making me feel like it's kind of not one or the other. You know, my phone is, is very good at what it does. Um, my Mac is very good at what it does. And the iPad sort of sits in this kind of no man's land in between, um, where I know people are using iPads for, um, you know, professional purposes. They're, they're using the keyboards hooked up and, and doing you know, good work in terms of... Usually it tends to be people who can write for a living um, and it's great for you know, text entry, note-taking, blogging, that side of things. Um, but then my own personal use is beyond what I've said already in terms of like actually using it for consumption... Um, no, I don't feel like I can create on it. And that, that's where it sort of stops being the future of computing for me. Um, how, how do you feel, Dave? I feel that it, in terms of the role it serves, it's almost just like a big iPhone. In ter- yep. it, like, with the apps I'm likely to use on the iPad, 
they're more or less the same caliber of apps I use on my phone. Um, so I just end up reaching for my phone because it's always in my pocket. Um, I, yeah. Yeah. If I, if I want to get any work done, I, I just have to use my Mac. There's, there's no way I can be productive on, on an iPad right now. Um, but then I look at other people um, that I know in my family, my parents, grandparents, they love their iPads. They absolutely love them. Yep. So when we throw around the term the future of computing, I'm not sure really if that phrase applies to sort of the creative professional or developer. I I think it it really applies to regular ordinary users. Because when you think yeah. about what yeah, you know, where the idea of an iPad starts to make sense, it it's mainly for consumer-focused tasks. That's what it simplifies down very, very well, such as email, web browsing, social media, video calling, browsing, sharing, yep. and even taking photographs. Um, I I can recall um, uh, trying to explain to someone how to copy photos off of an SD card on a on a PC. Yep. And just the introduction of the file system, that was a huge learning curve. <laughs> um trying trying to explain that, you know, this window here is your SD card and this window here is a folder that we've made on your hard drive and that's where we're going to copy the photos to. Um yeah. it, it just didn't work. And then I, I tried other solutions. Um I think Picasa at the time. Again it, you could just see them glaze yep. over. Um so the iPad it's it's not it's it's actually friction at that point um and i think i i forget i forget because i've been involved in computing and development for you know well over half my life um and i forget that these are things that other people just don't care about you know that i i i do and i know how to get around the problems and the foibles um and then, yeah, like you say, the, the iPad comes along and kind of fixes or glosses over a lot of that stuff for a lot of people. Yeah, I, th- I think it reduces common tasks down to their their essence so that for the most novice user, they can get by. And I think that's huge. So maybe in that sense, it, it, it is the future of computing. Um, the whole cars versus trucks analogy that Steve Jobs came up with that... Uh, the the PCs are kind of kind of be like trucks. They'll they'll still be around, but they won't be what most people drive. That I think that's, yeah, that's what he's getting at. Um, yeah, maybe maybe, maybe yeah. there is some truth. Maybe people like us always will be on a Mac, um, and and that and that potentially and that's fine or, or something of that nature. Yeah, yeah, something. Um, I can't I can't see me it, ever moving to an iPad Pro. Put it that way. Not without it basically running something quite close to perhaps like that version of Mac OS that was rumored that we were talking about the other week, you know, the sort of kind of almost blend of, of iOS style app install, but still with a, a windowing and desktop environment of a sort, um, without it, it is for me, it's without the OS kind of being there to support professional activity at the moment. I can't really see it as, as anything really other than a consumption device. And and that frustrates me because I do feel like it could be more. Um, I mean, there's something else we've, we've talked about offline, but if you are um, a creative professional who draws, for example, or does some sort of illustration um, within their work, 
and you own an iPad Pro and you own the pencil and you also own a Mac for when you're doing you know your big desktop sort of computing. Um, why on earth can you not just use that iPad Pro as a wireless kind of Wacom tablet with your Mac? Why does the OS not support that sort of thing out of the box? It just sort of, you know, it makes sense. You own both products and they work together really beautifully, really well. Um, I mean, there could be, there could be a load of APIs around that to sort of funnel, um, you know, the, the, the thing you're drawing to and from, the Mac back to the iPad as well. So you've kind of got this sort of synergy between the two. You can see on the device and on the screen what you're drawing. Um, it feels like that sort of thing could be supported out of the box and it would make it an absolute no-brainer as somebody with a Mac who also then has an iPad to go and buy the pencil, for example. You know, these things are going to work together beautifully and it's just there. And it, it feels like the only thing stopping that from happening is is software it's it's time and development and it's about apple kind of laying out how they think this sort of thing could and should work and it feels like they're not quite doing that yeah i i I, that that for me would be incredible i think it rather than the argument being is the future of computing a mac or or a mac based solution versus an ipad can it not be both can can one not be complementary to the other? Um, for me, that's that's where I would begin to get very interested in an iPad Pro. If I if I could, like you say, hand off a an artboard from Affinity Designer, chuck it to my iPad, and then go at it with the pencil, and then chuck it back to the Mac. Yep. That that's that's where I suddenly start to get interested. I, I would be looking at an iPad Pro at that point. Right now, I can't see what makes it Pro. Other than no. you could say, well, you know, it's got a bigger screen, but that's fine. But then there's also the 9.7 yeah. inch that's considered pro as well. So the pencil, I think, is is kind of like a the gateway to it being considered pro in my mind. But then yeah. that needs the software to back it up, like you just said. I think really almost what the iPad needs, rather than iOS, it almost needs iPad OS. Needs- and with that focus and, and how it links then to outwards to mac os and other services as well yeah and just the way the os would behave out you know in terms of uh, the springboard essentially you've you've got a blown up ipad not ipad iphone sorry in that you've yep. you know i think maybe let's get crazy let's have a whole new rethink about what an ipad could be um, i think just making it a bigger version of the iphone I, I, th- I think that's hindering the device. I think it could do so much more. At which point, maybe this argument of whether it could be the future of computing might might have a different angle on it. And yeah, it would. I think in its current state, it it certainly is not. Um, I mean, take for example, my dad's got an iPad Pro. He is the least pro computer user you'll ever meet. Um, but he bought an iPad yeah. Pro. I said to him, "Why did you get the iPad Pro? Well, it's bigger, isn't it?" That's the only reason. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it, it's it's a slightly bigger car. Yeah. It's not a truck. Yeah. Um, I think it, there's an argument to say that we are potentially being unfair in terms of putting all of the onus on Apple. Um, there there is a um, opportunity as indie developers maybe to sort of fill out the gap a little better. 
Um, so I can argue that for me, the the, you know, the OS doesn't feel ready yet for all the things I like to use an iPad for. Um, but then when I consider my own apps and what I'm building there, um, I've made, so far I've made my apps kind of just scale bigger for the iPad. And there's been a little bit of thought in terms of stuff that would have been kind of modal um, transitions away has turned into popovers and things like that. Um, but there's probably more I could do to make things sort of iPad native, iPad friendly. Um, and there's potentially longer term, that sort of synergy that I was talking about between Mac OS and the iPad. Um, one of the things I would love to do is put together a Mac OS version of my video mixing app. And that is sort of on my list of, of indie development activities to, to do over this next year or so. Um, and when I get there, one of the ideas that I would love to also do is make sure that there's kind of a satellite app for the iPad um, that speaks to the Mac OS app and essentially lets you use it as, as kind of like um, a, a, an interactive MIDI controller with that potential Mac OS app. Um, so there is, I think there is ground there to sort of say, we could fill some of these gaps a little bit. And I still think it needs the OS support. I still think it needs that kind of clear direction from Apple. Um, but maybe there's also an argument there to say, well, this is also still um, fresh ground. Even now, if we're looking at it and seeing faults, then there's an argument to say that there there is fresh ground there. There is the potential for, for indie developers to do things that, that actually ignite or change the platform. And, and maybe that's something we should be looking at as well. No, I think you're definitely right. I've I've certainly got some thoughts for how I'd like to take armchair onto the iPad. I've, I'm having a little argument with myself actually at the moment as to whether I try and do it as a universal app or whether I yep. split it out and go down the road of making a dedicated dedicated iPad app. I'm thinking probably the latter. I think just for the reasons you've just said, if we're going to go down the road of, um, like you say, having our role to play, I'd like to do something very, very much for the iPad. I don't want to just have a, a table view on the left and then a detail view on the right, which would essentially be... Yep porting what I've got from the phone to the iPad, I'd, I'd like to do something something much different. So I think yeah. you're right. Developers definitely have their roles to play. Um, and I, and I, I intend to do my best to play that role. Um, but I do think we need some help on the other side of the fence. Okay, so Dave, today um, I think we wanted to talk a little bit about marketing and launching our apps. Um, and I know that You've um, got quite a bit to say potentially about how how you sort of started off with your apps um, and how the the launch process kind of worked for you. Um, so, would you like to tell me a little bit about how you started things off? Sure, um, I started things off possibly in the worst possible way. Um, my first proper iOS app was Armchair Remote, my remote control for Cody. Um, and for that, I did absolutely no marketing whatsoever, <laughs> which probably wasn't a very... Just put it in the app store. I just put it in the app store and ran away, basically. Um, <laughs> breaking that down a little bit, I it was, like I say, my first ever app. I had almost no idea what I was doing. 
I had an Apple Watch um, component to it, and I didn't own an Apple Watch. Um, I launched it anyway, and I guess overall I was I was just kind of terrified. I I it was just a bit of a hit and hope. Um, yeah, and it feels now like a massive missed opportunity. Of course, I I, I regret doing that, and I I would seek to never never do that again. Um, I think. For me, a lot of it came down to a, a lack of confidence. Um, with it being my first app, I didn't have a a very big uh, beta program at all, so I didn't have a yep. huge amount of confidence that my app wouldn't be a bit buggy and a bit crashy. So I was so so reluctant to write off to people to be like, "Hey, look at my cool app," just out of fear of getting that email back, like, uh, "Yeah, nice one. It doesn't work," kind of thing. Um, <laughs> And yeah. there's a whole load of issues surrounding um, you know, developers and self-confidence, I think, um, a lot of which I, I suffered from and still do suffer from, but I suffered from it a lot worse if you wind the clock back or well, nearly two years now. Um, I don't know if you found that initially when when you launched. Yeah, I did. So with my first app, um, I did things a little differently to you for my first app, actually. Um, I did have... I had a hard launch um, where I put a date in and, and that was kind of when it was going to be launched. Um, and I planned a load of activity up to that. Um, but yeah, I, w- I was terrified of that um, of that whole process of putting myself out there and the potential for sort of, you know, crash reports and complaints and all these big, horrible things that I imagined was, was sort of going to happen. Um it's that confidence thing. And actually for me, that, that kind of exhibited itself in procrastination. So I'd had a sort of placeholder site up and on the net for about six months before I launched, um, where I sort of said, you know, this app is coming soon and canvassed for, for email addresses, um, which was definitely the right thing to do. You know, I put this around um, some of the Facebook groups for, for people who do live video mixing, sort of VJs. Uh, because that's what the app is is for. Um, And I had a few people sign up. Um, So it wasn't a bad thing to put something up ahead and to do that. Um, But there was a lot of like uh, some of this this pre-launch activity for me was very much around kind of putting off the inevitable. And that was coming from a place of a lack of confidence with with actually doing the launch as well. Um, But I did. And um, actually ahead of that launch... Um, I did a bit of, of kind of pre-launch activity. Um, I contacted my mailing list. I actually did a, a promotion. Um, so in July 2015, I did a promotion where I sort of said, this app is coming soon. Sign up here for some some freebies. Um, and that, put, that grew the mailing list from sort of around 50 people to 120 people, which is still not mega numbers, but it's, it's more than I had before. Um, kind of fast forwards then to September and I did my, my, my sort of, you know, hard launch. It's coming on this day. And by that point I'd already been approved by, by Apple. I was just dragging it out for another week. Um, and I put out posts to Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I emailed my mailing list, um, at the start of the week. And then I launched on a Friday. Um, and so there was, there was kind of this sort of build up. And that was reasonably successful. 
um, in terms of over that that first weekend, um, it's paid up front app. Um, and I think in the first um, the first week, I saw around about sort of twenty five sales or so, which I don't think was, was too bad for something coming out of nowhere that was asking for a, a few quid. Um, and then that sort of did a, a kind of tail off over the sort of five or six weeks afterwards. So it was sort of this, this kind of peak and then off, which was sort of definitely the, the effect of that pre-launch activity that I did. Um, so on the one hand, yeah, I was terrified and I procrastinated. And on the other hand, some of what I did in that procrastination was, was, was quite a, um, sort of helpful factor towards the launch itself. Um, but then after that, my my sort of post-launch activity has, has been quite um, quite small, to be honest. Um, I've, I've found that very difficult, sort of trying to sort of go, okay, how do I keep talking about the product? How do I keep driving sort of people back in? Um, and so in a lot of ways, it's fair to say my, my, my launch activity was the biggest part of my marketing plan. And then after that, I haven't really had much of a plan. Um, how do you find things in that, that respect, Dave, you know, you've got stuff out there. Okay. One way or the other, you've sort of silently launched it into the app store. Um, what, what have you sort of done since, or have you launched anything differently since my second app? Um, well, not my second app, but my second main app, um, space readers, which, um, it's designed to help kids learn to read. Uh, I, I was intentionally more proactive with that. I took the view that, yeah, I'm not. I'm not probably not going to enjoy this process of putting myself out there, and it's probably going to sting a little bit. But I'm going to do it. So, yeah. I, I did a lot of, um, well, a lot of. I did some promotion on Twitter, and I had a, a website up with a mailing list sign up, and yeah, you could you could definitely see whenever I made a noise about it on Twitter, the mailing list grew, which is awesome. Um, so I could write to those That's people cool. when when the app launched. I also spent quite a lot of time searching for people in in kind of the educational technology space, um, ed tech. It's known as. So yeah. I wrote. I created a big uh, Google spreadsheet of all of those people, and then wrote off to them once the app had launched, um, asking for feedback or you know the possibility of maybe them reviewing it or making a noise about it as well. Um, yep. That was really good. Um, I got a lot of, a lot of feedback from that. Some people, some people just flat out asked me for money, which I, I didn't really fancy giving <laughs> them any money. Um, yeah, I, I can speak to that actually on my, my second apps launch. I had a bit of that. Um, is it a donation to the cause of their blog? I think was the phrasing I kept getting quite a lot. Yeah, I, I I did reach out really um, after I'd launched GoVJ, um, reached out to a few of the sort of DJ tech sites. Um, and yeah, I got that message back of, well, you know, starting at $450, we can put a simple banner ad on our site and going all the way up to we can kind of theme our entire site with some posts and everything around your products. And it's like, well, okay, I'm I'm an indie. I don't have this sort of backing in cash. Um, I think we've we've come across purposes. 
Yeah, I think um, I got quoted $150 for one tweet by someone. Right. Um, and that's just yeah. completely out of the question as far as, far as I'm concerned. Um, like you say, as, as an indie, you, I, you don't have bags of cash to be throwing around like that. Um, certainly yeah. not. I I got some really bad feedback as well. Um, in, in, in the sense, it was very ambiguous. Um, one one right. person wrote back to me at saying there was a fundamental flaw with the app um, to do with my choice of font. Um, right. And and this was from someone within a very big um, educational organisation within the UK. So I, I was thrilled to have got the email from them, to be perfectly honest. It was just really, the content yeah. of the email was so disappointing. Um, and despite regular <laughs> regular attempts, and I, I still do um, every, even now I'll fire off an email saying, hey, you know, uh, you got any further thoughts on this? Um, I just can't get any yeah. further clarification. So I'm, I'm, there was a few instances like that which were slightly annoying. Um, but yeah, lo- lo- loads of great feedback. And my only real regret was that I did this after I'd launched the app. In hindsight, I probably should have asked these people to join a test flight program. Yeah. Um, and that would have made my, my beta much stronger, much bigger, and I'd have had a lot more confidence that the app was more stable at launch, because that's always my biggest fear. Um, you potentially also you, you, get them you potentially also get them engaged and ready for your launch as well. Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so that that's something I would definitely do differently next time. But I think this general approach has worked quite well. Um, I've been featured on a, on a couple of websites now, which is, which is really nice. Um, it's kind of a... I suppose it's sort of a bit niche what I'm doing. Um, yeah. But the sites have been featured on a very, very much on target, which is great. Um, generally, they're kind of sites that will, that are designed to help teachers find applications for their iPads in the classroom, which is right. bang on the money, really. That's exactly where I want to be. So, <laughs> so that's, uh, that's been really good. I should have done so. a similar, similar approach with armchair. So, what I'm intending to do is kind of do it now, essentially with, with armchair, albeit a little bit too late, but yeah. there's no reason why you can't though. Um, I mean, that's something I've realized now as well is that, um, you know, I put everything on my, my launch. Um, but yeah, the reality is, is that just because I find it difficult to do the reaching out and, and, and that side of things doesn't mean that, you know, I, I shouldn't do it, and it, it it's completely the opposite. I really should be doing it. Um, but you sort of end up with these kind of logical blocks when you're trying not to do something that you find difficult. Um, but you sort of think, okay, I've got to wait for my next version, you know, before I can do this. Like- or <laughs> I've got to have a, a new feature to talk about, you know, because otherwise I've got no permission to really talk to these people. Um, but the, the reality is, is that they're not sitting there waiting for me to make that new feature. They're, they're running their sites, they're in their niche, they're doing their thing, um, and they've potentially just never heard of me before because I've not done that reaching out. Do you think that's almost a form of procrastination? Yeah, I'm- yeah, I do. I think it comes back to, to, like I say, that sort of confidence and kind of fear of just putting your head above the line, really. Because when I just said, I'm, I'm thinking of doing this for armchair... That's exactly what where I am in my head. Oh, I'll wait until I've got like a version version three point and then I'll uh, then I'll reach out to people. So really, I'm in exactly the same place <laughs> mentally. So yeah, 
I think what I need to do is just do so, it. So, yeah, I mean, you could combine it, couldn't you? You could say, okay, um, you're reaching out with your regular kind of press kit and information about the app as it is right now. Um, but equally, you could tell them that, you know, we're working towards a version 3.0 later on this year. Um, and I'd also love to invite you to sort of check out the beta of that and, and the new features that we're putting together. So you could c- kind of combine the two things. Interestingly, um, with with Space Readers, when I mentioned about test flight, it confused so many people. Yeah. Did you find that yeah, at all? Yeah. Um, I've found that I've used um, Fabric's uh, beta system as well, where you sort of end up having to provision for for their device. Um, and even though Fabric does a really good job of sort of handling that process, um, I've still had to kind of handhold people through it. Um, test flight a little less, um, to be fair. So I link them to the instructions on Apple's site. Um and then that sort of tends to work, but um, I tend to just blanketly call it my beta process rather than specifically what it is, or try and you know give them any more information. It's just I need your email address, and I need so I can sign you up to to the beta, um, and then they get all the automated mails after that, and I send them the instructions as well. Um, yeah, no, I had a little you, bit of a you drop. You do off end there. up with a bit of friction there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you will do. I think some people's kind of um, interest couldn't be pushed that far. It's kind of like I'm semi interested in what you're talking yeah. about, but I I can't really be bothered to go through all of all of these hoops to get your app on my phone. Um, yeah, there's there's things like timing <clears throat> and stuff as well. Um I mean I, I would say if you've got, you know, ten, twenty people, however many, because um, I know it's small numbers usually when you're sort of talking about something niche and reaching out. Um but you know, if, it, if the numbers are small, then perhaps it doesn't really hurt to kind of keep on top of that, follow up with them, and just try and nudge them down down the funnel um, to getting them on there. Because if you can get them to install it, if you can get over them over that line in the beta process, then chances are you will get a little bit of feedback, even if it's just, you know, thumb up, thumb down kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so it's, pro- it's probably worth the effort just to get that information back. No, I, th- I think you hit on something a few minutes ago when you said about the procrastination because it's something that you know you need to do, but something you're not yep. comfortable doing. Um, I wonder if that's particularly relevant because we're so low indies because you've got you've got no one that you're accountable to. Yep. Um, which I you could kind of throw this podcast into the mix, really. I mean, think about wind the clock back to before we recorded episode one. I mean, my yeah. I was feeling very much the same thing with recording that episode as I do with marketing my apps. Um, I know a big goal for me for episode one was just being able to talk on a mic. And, you know, never mind sound interesting about a topic. Um, yeah, and it was quite a quite a nerve wracking thing. But I think we had we had each other pushing each other along, didn't we? Yeah, and we, we were, did, and, and I, there's that sort of accountability effect. Yeah, I, I didn't want to let you down, so I just kind of dove in the deep end and you know made it work where i perhaps there's yeah, a, if you if you can find someone to you know like a someone you're accountable to so that if you know they at the end of the week they say so have you done your marketing this week and you know they're going to ask you that and you know you're going to sound like a fool if you say oh well no i i didn't because and then you come up with all your excuses and they call you out on it 
Yeah. Uh, <laughs> could potentially be useful. <laughs> so, live, well, yeah, previously live, on air, do we hold ourselves accountable here? Is that perhaps the best thing to do? I think that might not be a bad idea. Yeah. So, I'll make you a deal now, Dave. Um, we'll check back in next week and the week after and we'll just simply ask each other what marketing activity have we done in that time sure deal cool <laughs> be interesting to see what next week brings now yep and my dog at my homework that kind of thing <laughs> <laughs> we're on the hook <laughs> all right so that just about wraps up this episode before we go dave where can people find you um, you can find me on davewood.uk and you can find my applications at roboheads that's roboheads with a z dot com how about you dave uh, you can find my two apps um, the first one armchair remote that's my remote control for cody that's at armchair-remote.com um, my second latest app space readers it's a it's an app to help kids learn to read can be found at spacereaders.com